Hey everybody, and welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford. And I'm Peter Glassford. So this week we have actually another episode on golf, but those of you that are thinking, oh man, we already heard Jack Sasswell talk about golf in an episode, what, almost two months ago now, uh, we have a totally different episode covering some of the stuff that we didn't get into with Jack because, you know, golf is a pretty complicated game. Uh, So yeah, this week's guest is Shanna Kelly. Indeed, and this is uh, another Canadian uh, golf pro, and Shanna was awesome to talk to. Uh, she had a lot of really good stuff for coaches, uh, but also for anyone who's looking at you know trying to improve a skill generally, but obviously we talk specifically about golf. Um, so we talk about the certification program that they go through, uh, but she had a couple really cool drills. Again, the, the concept of getting the ball up into the air versus you know you know getting it underneath it's sort of like what jack was talking about but she had a couple drills that you know were different and you know a different way of coming at that Uh, so i really enjoyed our our conversation on the actual sort of coaching methodology that she uses her philosophy for coaching Um, and then also a couple other really interesting things that got me thinking about cycling and some of the choices we make early when we're trying to learn things um, as far as picking a course for success, so not going to the hardest golf course, but that would apply obviously to you know not going to a trail system that's super rocky or really hilly your first time out, um, and that would apply to many different sports. And then we also dive in on um, you know picking you sort of your objective, how long you're going to practice, and and so that again applies to doing nine holes in golf, but again you know not going out and getting stuck on some super long group ride or run or you know whatever sport you're trying to learn, right? Like really small little bite sized pieces, and that's something that the last little bit we've been playing around with some core in the morning. Uh, both Molly and I, and then also with some of my clients. And we've been having really good success with sort of just committing to five or ten minutes of practice every day. And yeah. I think that frequency is a really, really cool bit. So um, lots of ideas there. I think you'll enjoy this one with Shanna Kelly. All right. Enjoy the episode. Um, and what is your position there? What do you do there? So I am the uh, teaching professional. Okay. Uh, Oh, very good. And so what does that, so then you basically are, would you be consider yourself a golf pro or do you consider your position different than being a golf pro? No. So I'm a, a PGA of Canada class A professional, but the stream that I've taken is more as the teaching and coaching. Okay. And that you teach coaches or that you're, um, uh, so I teach, I teach golfers. Okay. Versus another golfer, you know, the other, our head professional on site, he looks after the pro shop and runs all the events. Okay. He might, might do a little bit of co- teaching and coaching, but you know, 100% of my job is teaching and coaching. I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay. And so there's the PGA um, certification. Does that then cover both those roles, or how do they have that certification set up? Yeah. So you get uh, you go through for your Class A certification, and then you can uh, certify in different areas. It's a new program they started a few years back. So there are golf professionals who are general managers of facilities. So you can certify in, you know, food and beverage and accounting and, you know, take that stream. There's obviously coaching and teaching. There's pro shop operations. There are, there's playing for those that want to, you know, compete in events. So there's lots of different streams that, uh, you know, lots of different areas that fall under the umbrella. 
Okay. Now, if on the last one, the the plane, so would you would most professional players have this certification then? Is that something that's required to be a professional golf player? So we have to, you have to pass what we call a playability test. So um, you do have to meet uh, a standard of playing, but usually if you're certified in playing, you're kind of the cream of the crop. You're the ones that are uh, finishing high in tournament, playing in tournaments, playing in events and finishing high, but no, you don't have to play in tournaments and events to be, to be a golf professional. Okay, so someone might just be even a recreational player and just want to be certified as a, a Class A professional player? Correct. Yeah, okay. you could be. I mean, most, I would have met the, I don't know what the actual numbers are, but the majority of golf professionals, you know, aren't in the kind of that playing stream. Okay. Okay, very interesting. So now in terms of the people you work with as a, a, a coach or teacher, um, would it, does that cluster into a certain type of, you know, level of player? So I am cert- So when you are certified to be a instructor or a coach, you've got different levels. So every class A member is required to train uh, instructor beginner and instructor intermediate. And then from there, if you want to expand on that, you can uh, take instructor advanced. You can also do coaching, uh, coaching new competitors and coach of developing competitors. So. Right now, I have uh, for instruction stream. I have I've trained in beginner, intermediate, and in advanced. Okay. I'm certified in beginner and intermediate, and I've also trained and certified in coach of new competitors. Okay. So. Very cool. Yeah. Um, and that's probably the most like most people pursuing golf instruction. I guess would be probably in that beginner intermediate range. Yes, like I said, all golf professionals, even if you don't intend to teach a day in your life, have to take those two first streams. Okay. Um, if you want to expand on that, yeah, then obviously there's more levels that you can take. Okay, okay. Um, so now, when you look at those beginner and intermediates, um, what would? how do you differentiate between someone who's a beginner and an intermediate? So usually beginner we classify as somebody who has either a never touched a golf club before or somebody who has just maybe done it recreationally here and there, never taken any lessons, um, you know, just as trying it out for the first few times. An intermediate is somebody who's done, who has played golf more frequently. Um, And notice we don't separate them based on ability level necessarily. It's mostly just familiarization with the sport. Right. You can be an intermediate golfer and still have a 30 handicap. Okay. You, know, you don't have to be highly skilled to be, you know, educated in this, you know, play the sport. Okay. You have to be at, a high, at a super high level to be part of it, which is just really neat. Mm-hmm. So now why no, like why not classify people by ability? I guess because golf is such, it's open to so many different ages and so many different ability levels. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we can separate them that way. Obviously, if I had an intermediate golfer who was maybe a 10 handicap versus one who was a 30, um, you know, the 10 could potentially start to fall under the advance. But it all kind of depends on where people's pathway with the sport is. Mm-hmm. A lot of people aren't playing and, and trying to improve because they want to play tournaments or they, you know. They, they play because the, of the enjoyment of the sport. Right. So you don't have to separate them by ability level. You know, golf's one of the great games where, you know, if you're familiar with handicapping, handicapping is a way that you can, golfers of different ability levels can play against each other. 
Okay. Actually um, playing, you're actually playing, to, you know, basically against your own ability level, and the next person is playing against their own ability level, and whoever plays to the best of their ability that day comes out on top. Right. So now, I, I don't know, I, I mean, I understand it in theory, but how, yeah. how do you use that practically then? I think that's a good term to maybe, I don't think we got into that in our, our first golf podcast. So, you know, if you and I were going to go golf and I'm a 40 handicap, um, yeah. what, does, what does that mean? And, and how would you and I, you know, get around the course together? Okay, perfect. That's a great example. So let's say for numbers, so people understand it, um, let's say I'm a 10. And okay. you're a 40. So the difference between our candy handicaps are 30. So I would have to give you 30 strokes on the day. So let's say, again, for ease of numbers, let's say I shot 75 and you shot 100. Well, if you take my 10 off 75, I shot 65. Right? If we took your 40 off of 100, you shot 60. So who played to the best of their ability that day? Okay. Right. Um, I'm just trying to write it down too. So, yeah. so in that fa- case, then I would win, right? Is that, that's how we're doing that. Okay. So it just basically, this, it's fairly straightforward then is that you just, whatever your handicap is, you're subtracting that from the actual game, how, like what actually was played. Is that yeah, okay. sure. That's one way to do it. There's also a match play way to do it. So let's say um, we would take the difference. Let's say the 30. So I would have to give you 30 shots during the round. So there's 18 holes. So on every hole, I would have to give you 18 or, or one shot, right? one shot per hole. Okay. And then there would be an additional 12 holes, the 12 hardest holes, where I would have to give you two shots. Uh, okay. So if you look on a scorecard, a lot of people, I get this question a lot, what does handicap mean? You know, if you look on the scorecard, uh, when the course is rated, the, co- the holes are ranked one through 18, one being most difficult hole, 18 being the easiest hole. So you would get one shot on all 18 holes. And then on the 12 most difficult, you would get two. So let's say on a certain hole, you made a six and I made a four. Mm -hmm. If it's a hole where you got two strokes, we would tie the hole. If it was was a hole where um, you got one stroke, then I would win the hole. So that would be for match play. So it's a great way, like I said, that players of differing abilities can play together, play against each other. Um, because in reality, yes, you're playing the other player, but you're playing against your own ability level. If you rise to the occasion and play your handicap or better, then you've got a good chance, as long as they, the other person doesn't play even better than their own ability. Okay. And now, how do how would I come up with that I have a 40 handicap? So you have to be, uh, well, there's lots of programs and I think apps out there to do it, but uh, most golfers are registered through Golf Canada. We've got a Golf Canada membership number and uh, you can do it right at your home club. If you don't have a home club, you can register right through Golf Canada and do it online. So you keep track of your scores. So you have to post your score at the end of each round. And your handicap is calculated by using your top 10 scores of your most recent 20. And then there's a differential based on what tees you play. It's it's kind of a complicated mathematical equation. Wow. But, uh, it, it calculates it for you, and it, and it fluctuates as you play. Uh, so if you're playing better, obviously your handicap goes down. If you're not playing quite as good, then your handicap can go up um, and fluctuate. And so all... Sorry, it also changes tee to tee. So let's say, you know, you want to play the, the tips or the, the furthest back tees. Yeah. You would get more strokes than if you played, you know, tees that were further up. That weren't rated quite as hard. Okay. Um, 
No, you have to play only on ranked courses to put that into Golf Canada, or is there... Yes, so rated courses, but most courses in North America are rated. Right. So that's that's usually not a not a problem. Like you know the two ones you mentioned there in Coor- we talked about Kawartha, um, and what, yeah. so the other one was Lindsay. Like those two would be ranked. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I guess once you have like a golf club that people are paying memberships or daily entrance fees, like that's part of the attraction in golf. I would imagine is that you can put that up there and add it to your your handicapping, right? Exactly. Absolutely. Okay. They're all members of Gol- of uh, Golf Ontario and Golf Canada. So. Okay. Awesome. That's uh, that's a really cool. I did not realize it was that. I I always assumed it was like you you would play your round of eighteen and then you know whatever number you were over par or something was your handicap. But it obviously. That's kind of how it works. Okay. That's a really great you know great basic way to understand it. But uh, like okay. I said, just the difficult level uh, difficult level of the course. Okay. Also plays plays a role in it. So okay. That's so where the uh, that math, like I said, the mathematical equation comes in. Okay, and I don't want to go too deep on handicapping, but what what uh, what happens when I go play Pebble Beach or something like, when, and it's not in Canada? Uh, there's usually it should be there should be a slope and a rating as well, and okay. you should be able to apply your handicap. Yeah. Neat. Okay, that's really cool. Now I want to get now cool. now I want to get twenty twenty plays in here. I'm gonna have to get start getting out to the, the range and or out to the the course more often. Yeah. you have to get five. Once you get five, it will start to calculate. Okay. Yeah, so you have to get uh, tw- uh, five eighteen hole rounds in for it to start to calculate. Obviously, if you, the more rounds you have, the more accurate it'll be. Okay. If you only get five in, it will take your best score of the five. So it's a it's a good it's a good indication, but it's probably not the most accurate until you get more rounds in. Okay, that's good to know too. Then, so, I mean, with that, that's almost a, a way to going back to the how we're categorizing people. Like, if someone has a handicap, th- then that's sort of like your your intermediate because you've played five times and you have like some sort of you know metric on how how where you're at, I guess, right? Yeah, absolutely. We can use that. You know, when people come and sign up for for you know sessions, we definitely talk about it. I have a lot of uh, students, however, that don't they play a lot of golf and they don't have a handicap. Again, you know, maybe score isn't the reason, the number one reason that they play the game. Okay. So if you're hitting par, do you have yeah. a handicap or no? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can even be, if you're a really skilled player and you're consistently shooting under par, you would have what we call a plus handicap. Okay. Yeah. So again, if somebody's routinely shooting under par and they're playing against somebody who routine, routinely shoots over par, there's still that difference between how they normally play. Okay. So now when you're working with people, uh, yeah. is, there, is there anything, you know, I always like to talk to coaches and find out, you know, what do they do or what do they believe that's, you know, a little different than what is the common, you know, like a cue or something that, you know, is commonly used. Um, I always use the example of like, I'm big on not letting people hop their bikes with the two wheels at the same time. So what you might think of as like a bunny hop motion versus more yeah. of a front wheel first motion. So that's a cycling example. And so is there anything that comes to mind in, when you're coaching these beginners and intermediates? Um, I don't know. I guess you would have to, I would have to know a lot about what other coaches did to be able to make that comparison fairly. Sure. Um, I know for, I know for myself, um, I'm a firm believer that I can, (laughs) I relate really well to my students. I was, um, I was never the natural, you know, scratch golfer. I had to work really hard at it. So a lot of the common things that I find, um, that my students are struggling with, I've kind of been there, done that. So I think I can offer a really unique perspective um, compared to some of my colleagues who are just amazing golfers and always have been. 
Um, you know, they know exactly how to do it, um, but to be able to relate to their student, the struggle of getting where they need to be, it's kind of, you know, there's a little bit of a gap there. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I um, really pride myself on is I, I'm a big believer in the um, in the PGA of Canada. We have what we call the analyzed performance model. Okay. So when we're looking at, at, um, at a student and we're trying to help them figure out the gap, the gap between what they're currently doing and what they want to do, um, traditionally most golf professionals have always defaulted or gone straight to technique. Right? What? Uh, where's the where's the technique off? Right? Where where in the swing are they are they messing it up basically? But our analyzed performance model um, prompts us to look at other areas that might be affecting what's going on. You know, equipment, environment. You know, emotions, mental, cognitive. What are people thinking about? You know, tactics. Um, physical motor, you know, can they just not physically move the way they need to? You know, is there something else? You know, maybe they've got a shoulder issue that's limiting what they're able to do. And in that case, you know, they're making their swinging technically different than what our textbook says. Um, so different things that we can look at first that usually filter down to some kind of technical flaw. The greatest example that, that I can come up with is this one. Most beginner or newer golfers have this um, thought in their head that they need to lift the golf ball up into the air. Right? Mm-hmm. That's really not what ha- what happens to get the ball airborne. I don't know if you talked about that, in, like you said, in one of your previous uh, podcasts. But uh, if somebody firmly believes that they have to lift the golf ball into the air, no amount of technique changes will stop them from trying to apply that tactic. So to get to the root of the problem, we have to help them understand what has to happen. And then kind of the light bulb comes on and they can say, oh, okay. So every time I've been trying to do this, it's actually working against me as opposed to working for me. Um, You know, swinging too hard and just trying to make the ball go. I guess a a good comparison with cycling would be somebody getting on a bike and just pedaling as fast as they can. Mm -hmm. Thinking that that's the way to make the bike go. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Um, stand up and just wail away at a golf ball and, and try to make it go as far as you can isn't necessarily the best tactic. And when you're applying that tactic, obviously the technique you're using is probably not very sound. Right. So I would say that's where probably where I believe I differ the most. I've heard comments back from my students, you know, was, oh, I've never heard it explained that way before. Um, even those that have maybe taken lessons and instruction from other people before. Right. Uh, I get a lot of comments that they they really appreciate the time that I take to help them understand what they actually have to do, and they feel empowered after they leave a session. They hmm. uh, they feel like that now they have a better understanding of what they need to do so that when they're going to practice, you know, obviously they can apply the things that we've worked on. Yeah, that's a that's a great example. We did talk a little bit about this idea of that that tendency for people to want to lift the ball up. Um, okay. Um, and so that that is a good example to come back to, and I, I, we didn't necessarily touch on the the belief of that, and I think that's interesting for sure. Um, yeah. Because you could definitely see someone you know trying to go drill in on the technique. Yeah. But not necessarily touch on that like belief of like what the actual like what we're trying to do. Um, exactly. And actually, the cycling my actual cycling example there of the not wanting people to lift two wheels at the same time is exactly yeah. almost very similar because people when we're clipped into the bikes they try and pull the bike up off the ground. Okay. But what we actually want to do is more almost like a trampoline, right? Like I always give the example like you don't 
jump up, like pull yourself up off the trampoline, you like will push physically push down, yeah. right? Like you push into the trampoline, it goes down and then you get boosted up in the air. And so yeah. that's what should happen with a bike is you actually push into the ground and then that creates sort of like an equal force that pulls you up off the ground, right? So it, yeah. it's, it's sort of funny because that's sort of what you're talking about with the golf ball, right? Is you're actually more, would you say, trying to drill it down into the ground? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And the more you try to lift up, the more you're actually pulling the golf club away from the ball. Right. right. And making, you know, poorer contact instead of better contact. I like uh, that. I think the other thing, too, is it, it happens so quickly. Like, the golf swings over in an instant. And I think it's, you know, it's it makes almost too much sense. When you watch somebody swing a golf club, it happens so fast. What do you see? You see them lift the golf club up. You see it come down and go back up over their shoulder. Mm-hmm. So in that split second, the brain picks up. Oh, club comes up, club comes down, club goes back up again. Mm-hmm. And you just stand up, you know, you know, just as watching somebody throw a ball. You know, and try to emulate what you saw. Um, problem is, you can't see what happens at impact because it happens so fast. So you can't actually see that the go- that the club has to travel through or across the golf ball for you know. Obviously, we're talking fractions of seconds, but uh, you know, if it doesn't stay down near the ball long enough, you know, it'll just pull away and, and make very poor contact, and then obviously frustrate the person who's swinging the club because they're not sure why the ball won't go. Mm-hmm. Would you recommend, you know, for this person going, you know, for their first couple times, um, you know, obviously coaching and, and getting into some some lessons early is a good idea. Um, yeah. Is there anything before they go for that first lesson that they could do? Like, you know, does mini golf help or do, do going to like a golf range help? Or do you think that in any case it's all just golf and I guess coaching would be important for any of that? I think anytime you get to experience a sport, you're always going to pick up on something. Mm-hmm. Um, I've definitely seen examples where, you know, starting with people from scratch has, you know, they've been able to progress quickly um, because, again, we don't have, they don't have any preconceived notions of what they're trying to do um, versus working with intermediates who have, you know, maybe 10, 20, 30, 40 years of experience, um, 40 years of doing it one way that we're trying to change, you know, a motor pattern. It's not necessarily easy. No. Anytime you can get, you know, get information, good information early, I think is is a plus. I don't think you have to do it that way. Um, Golf being such a social sport. I mean, if you go out with your friends, everybody's, you know, dying to hand you golf advice. And it's actually, uh, I think it's it's funny because most people, you know, want to want to help, you know, they want to help you enjoy the sport so that you can do it more with them. Um, But uh, at the same time, when you know, when somebody is offering advice, maybe they don't completely understand it themselves. I always uh, I know, use the analogy, it's like me trying to, you know, fix my kitchen sink. You know, if I'm not a plumber, chances are I'm probably going to make the problem a lot worse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's probably better to call somebody who knows what uh, what they're talking about um, and leave it in, in the appropriate hands. But uh, I think it's, I think it's, it's great that people want to help each other. Yeah, yeah, and it's sort of like I, back. Yeah. I like I like that analogy though because I mean I have a sink and you have a sink, but yeah. even if I know a little bit about my sink, it doesn't mean yeah. that it'll fix your sink, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's cool. I like yeah. that. Yeah. So, but uh, you know, I think one of the greatest things about the game of golf, like I said before, is that so many different ages and ability levels can can do it together, and everybody's just trying to help each other. You know, enjoy the game and be out there together. I think that kind of comes down to the root of it. 
Okay, and so day one on the course, say we are going to get a lesson. What does that look like? What should what would the goal or the expectation be for that that first time or that beginner? Um, well, if you're coming to, coming for a session, we're probably not going to be on the golf course. We're just going to be up okay. on the on the practice facility. Um, I'm a big believer that you don't want to get out there onto a golf course until you have an idea of you know how to make that golf ball move because you're just going to be frustrated. Um, you're also going to feel kind of under the gun if there's other people out on the golf course with you. Um, and then also starting at a golf course that's appropriate size for you. Um, there's some big ones out there. Um, there's some nice, smaller, more beginner-friendly golf courses too. So finding the appropriate facility is going to be number one when you go out to play. Um, first session, though, if you're a brand new golfer and you're coming to see me, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to completely dismantle your golf bag. We're going to pull out all your clubs and we're going to talk about what they are and what they do. I mean, they're the tools that we need to, to use. Uh, a lot of the time, people don't even realize when we pull them out the first time that they're actually different sizes, that you have one club that's, you know, that uh, obviously the driver and the fairway metals, hybrids are longer than the irons and all the irons, you know, adjust in about one inch or uh, half inch increments. So that's usually the first eye opener that people get that, oh, these golf clubs actually are meant to do something uh, specific. And then uh, then usually we work, we head right into setup. Okay, now that we understand that we have all these different tools, how are we going to use them? How is this one going to set up compared to that one? And again, just to for firm a really solid foundation of understanding what it is you're going to do when you go out there. And then we would progress to understanding how the golf ball gets airborne. Um, I've got lots of nice, uh, easy, simple drills for people to uh, to work on to, again, try to understand how they have to swing the club versus try to whack the ball or, or lift the ball up into the air. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much pretty standard for somebody new that I would introduce to the game. Again, that first session for sure is all about understanding and hoping and helping the person, you know, kind of turn the, the lights on as to what uh, what they're going to do when they get out there. Okay, and what would you look for in that first course? You said that some courses are more beginner. Is there some sort of rating or naming or something that someone might look for? Yeah, for sure. Um, nine hole courses for sure. 18 is pretty, pretty big. Um, not all 18 hole golf courses make you play 18 holes. You can play nine holes. But generally speaking, 18 hole golf courses tend to be um, what we call championship size. So, you know, six to 7,000 yards. You do have the option to play shorter tees, but uh, I'll just use our golf course, Lindsay, for example. There's um, lots of ditches, meaning there are holes where you need to try to get up and over trouble. Um, okay. Shorter golf courses, so nine-hole golf courses. Uh, if you look for uh, words like executive courses, that means they're a little bit shorter. Um, so they're a little bit easier to handle. Also, time of day. You know, uh, I always recommend to my newer players, when you're calling a golf course to book a tee time, ask them, you know, when a good time to come out is that it's pretty quiet. Say I'm, I'm newer to the game and, and I just want to be out there when you're the least busy. And most of the time they'll appreciate that and they'll let you know when the best time of day to come out is where you're not going to um, necessarily feel like you've got a huge lineup of people behind you. Awesome. I think those are good tips. What would be a good time to go from the driving range, the practice course, onto the course? Like, what would be the, what would you be looking for to say, okay, let's get out there on the course and start learning, you know, sort of the flow of the game? Yeah, um, I always say as soon as you can, you know, contact the golf ball and, you know, get some height and make it go forward, you can go play golf. Um, do you have to know how to use all of your golf clubs? Nope. I've got a lot of new players who uh, I always, you know, recommend just stick with a couple key clubs. 
you know, you might just play the first nine holes with your nine iron and your putter. Right. Uh, but again, it takes uh, it takes away the guesswork of what what club should I use, and just lets you focus on uh, again basically what we did in lesson one: set yourself up, swing the club, try to sweep the grass and get the ball up into the air. And if you can make it go airborne, most people can hit it about 50 yards. So you know, you take a hole that's maybe 200 yards long. If you can hit four nice 50-yard shots, you should be able to get it on the green kind of thing and then putt. Right. So, yeah, it's the, uh, when you we, when we overswing and, and contact the ball poorly, that we don't get it to cover much yardage, and then we end up swinging, taking too many shots to get there, and it just gets tiring and frustrating. All right, that sounds really good. Um, is there something that we could practice at home, you know, maybe before that session or in between sessions? Like, is there something that you give people as sort of homework, you know, assuming they don't have a, a range or, you know, the, a big backyard they could hit in? Um, what, what sort of drills or strength or is there anything like that that you sort of recommend to have better success or quicker success? Yeah, my favorite drill, and again, going back to what I said about trying not to lift the ball, my favorite drill is if you take a piece of a broken tee and you put it into the ground, once you take your setup, you're going to obviously pretend that the, that tee is a ball. Um, and you're going to swing, and you're going to try to sweep that piece of broken tee out of the ground. You absolutely cannot lift that tee out of the ground. If you try to dig it out, you're going to make a big chunk. You take a big chunk of grass out behind the ball. But if you swing properly, you should be able to you know, brush the grass and nick that tee out. Um, and that's the motion that you need to take a proper divot and get the ball airborne. So, yeah, homework after lesson one is to definitely work on... Um, sweeping that tee out of the ground. Uh, I like it because, you know, we would progress to the point of putting a ball on that tee and still trying to sweep the tee. And then we would take the tee away and just have the ball sit resting on the grass and, you know, talking about the fact that the swing's going to feel exactly the same, even though that tee isn't there. It's kind of an imaginary tee now. And I love it because you can take that drill home. If you don't mind losing a little bit of grass in your backyard, you don't have to hit a golf ball. You can work on setting yourself up, trying to put yourself in the same um, stance and posture that, uh, each and every time, and try to sweep that T. The more familiar you are and the more comfortable you are just swinging smoothly to sweep the T, the more you're going to be able to translate it when you go to the driving range or you go to the golf course and introduce a golf ball. Right. And so just to clarify then, what we're doing is we're sort of going to swing and try and just like catch the, the head of the T, I guess, or what's left of the head of the T rather than like dig it out of the ground is that, is that so yeah exactly you can't dig it out right it's right. to get it to come out you actually have to come down on it and this refers back to what we say about yeah. hitting down on the golf ball um it's it's funny in my experience you know when you try to explain to people exactly what has to happen i mean technically you hit the golf ball first but if we talk to people about hitting the golf ball first i find they top it more right so it comes back down to okay how do we help people do it properly um do they have to understand 100 percent the ins and outs of what works i don't think so um i have no idea how the engine in my car works right but i consider myself a pretty good driver um i'm not going to be a better driver knowing how you know an engine runs i, I know i have to put gas in and I, and I know when it sounds right and when it doesn't but knowing how everything pumps through there I don't believe will make me a better driver. You know, being more conscientious and looking around me and, you know, following the rules of the road will make me a better driver. Similar to when you go to the doctor if you're not feeling well. You know, do you want the doctor to sit there and throw all this, you know, medical jargon at you or do you want them to just tell you what you have to do to feel better? 
Um, I hope that the person I'm talking to understands the, the inner workings, but uh, just give me what I need to focus on so that I can get the result that I want. So yeah, that T drill is, is huge in that respect. Like I said, if we're, if we're just trying to sweep the T out of the ground, you have to hit down on the T to make it move. Otherwise you're trying to take a big chunk or excavate ground behind it, which isn't going to make it come out either. Right. Huh. Yeah, that's really maybe, good. Maybe, yeah, maybe a little hard to visualize just talking about it, but uh, when you can actually see it, right? It's, uh, like I said, uh, I love seeing um, the surprise on people's faces. Okay. And you can yeah. do, you could do that with any of the clubs, right? That's not specific. I guess you'd only do it with a driver, though, because it's... Yeah, you, yeah, exactly. For, for a driver, though, I mean, I still talk about using T-drills, but obviously we're going to use a full-size T. We're going to pop it up really high, and we're okay. going to just try to sweep across and just nick the top of that T. Because okay. if you if you take a driver, if you look at the, the face of a driver, and you put it just, you know, so that the bottom of the driver is touching the tip of the T, mm -hmm. well, if the golf ball was on it, then the golf ball would be right in the center of the club face. Ah, okay. You know what I mean? Yes. So if you swing higher than the T, then the club face is actually the bottom of the driver is actually going to contact somewhere partway up the golf ball. Okay. You're not going to be completely square on the face. So there's other ways to, you know, take that same drill and, and stretch it out. But uh, I, I love how I can put a T or a ball on that golf, that little T for the first time after somebody's figured out how to get it to the ground and tell them to do the same thing and they... They're so concentrating on that tee, they'll swing and the ball will fly and they'll stand there in complete and utter disbelief. Right. And I'll say, you look surprised. And they'll say, well, yeah, I feel like I didn't really try to make the ball go. You <laughs> <laughs> right. well, that there, there you go. There's golf, <laughs> you know. Yeah. You feel like you're having to put a lot of effort into it. You're probably putting more than you need to into it. Again, back to like when I said, I'm not a cyclist, but something tells me that you're not on the bike pedaling as hard as you can every single time. <laughs> yeah, certainly. There's more to it than that to make it go the way you want to. Yes, and that's yeah. always the fight is the, the fit people. I always say you have to still learn to steer around the trees for mountain biking. You can have as good an engine as you want. but yeah. you know, So you'll see the people who, like, they're putting out actually more power. Um, yes. But then, you know, the, the people who are winning are putting out less power a lot of exactly. the time, right? Like maybe more – Yeah, maybe, maybe more peaks, but not – you know, they're not pedaling all the time or, you know, certainly, like, big, huge efforts to come out of corners or whatever. So. Yeah. Awesome. Um, is there anything else that comes to mind that you'd like to sort of communicate um, for us here that you think we sort of skipped or missed? No, I mean, I think in any sport you can you can delve into all sorts of different areas. Yeah, no, there's a couple of really good things there that we, we didn't get out of our first one, so that's, I think, good yeah. progression. Um, is there any way we can, you know, can people track you down on social media or websites or, you know, just websites generally you think would be good for people? Yeah, so I do have, I've got a website, confess that it's not very, uh, I update it with my rates uh, every year, but uh, okay. a one-person show, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, don't get, I don't get a lot of uh, legwork done on those things. I would no, love I... to do more of it, but you know, when you're only one person and you're the, and you're the head coach, kind of the, right. the legwork goes into <laughs> you know, coaching seminars and, and not so much uh, spending time on the computer. Well, um, But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's kellysglenn.com. And uh, I also do have a Facebook page that I try to keep updated. Um, I like to share articles that I think um, pertain to some of my, you know, students. Okay. Things that I see that I see that are out there that I think are good reads. Um, other than that, I don't. Uh, I'm not a, a huge social media user. Okay. I, I said I probably should look into it a little bit more. Well, 
There's I something... love the I love the holistic approach. You know. Yeah. Look at uh, whether it's an adult or a child. You know, it's they're more than just the the athlete. You know, you know you have to take all the different parts and pieces involved. You know, why why do they play? What what do they want out of the sport? Mm-hmm. I think if we're not if as coaches, we're not asking why people are doing it and not getting down to that nitty gritty, then we could potentially lead them down the wrong path. And not that we're not good at what we do, but, you know, we are there to serve them, mm-hmm. to serve the golfer, the athlete. So it's, you know, most important, I believe, to find out what they want out of it and then how do we support them in that in that endeavor. Mm-hmm. No, I think you're on to something good there. And yeah, it's, you know, I, I wouldn't spend more time on the social medias if you can avoid it. If, if, work, <laughs> if, if work's going good and you got people there you're coaching, I think that's... That's yeah. the way to do it. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I let my work speak for itself, I guess. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I think there's a lot of good coaches that do it that way. So, um, yeah, thank that's you so much. No, that's perfect. I think you covered a lot of stuff there. You know, we're, I think, lots of stuff packed into that half hour here. So, I think we'll leave it at that. Hopefully, we can someday okay. connect in person. Um, Lindsay's not too yep. far from me. So, yeah, I might, uh, or I'll definitely look you up here over the next year and try and get some instruction. Um, but hopefully everyone else can sort of look at your, your site there. And, you know, if you're in the Lindsay area, uh, check Shauna out. Yep, that's great. Oh, it's Shanna. Shanna, I apologize. Shanna Banana, that's okay. Shanna Banana. Have you great. ever seen that picture that says um, my name's been mispronounced so many times I'm starting to wonder if I pronounce it correctly? Well, I blame it on my time spent in the U.S., to be honest, because yeah. I would have usually pronounced that, and they have this, like, Americano and versus Americano, and yeah, okay. it's, yeah, it's... That's okay. I think it took me two years to get my head professional to pronounce it correctly, too, so... <laughs> okay. It's just, it's just habit. There you go. All right. All right. Thank, Thank you very you much. Thank you so much. Yep. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, bye-bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you would like to, please leave us a review over at iTunes or check out the website for all the show notes over at consummateathlete.com. And of course, if you have any suggestions for guests, questions for these guests, questions for us, etc., you can find us over on Twitter or Instagram at Molly J. Herford or at Peter Glassford. Again, thanks so much for listening and we will see you next time.